today. I wanna fall off my bike today. I wanna fall off my bike today. I wanna Welcome to another episode of the Cambridge Endurance Sports Podcast. Got a great interview for you today with cyclist David McLean. We go into his time in the pro peloton and really go into some depth on how he got there and how he found life amongst the big boys there. But before we do that, we've actually got some news today. Uh, Over the weekend, there were some incredible running performances from a couple of Cambridge or Cambridge-linked Athletes. One of those was, was Holly Archer, who fought her way through to a silver medal at the European Indoor Athletics Championships in Turin in Poland. She was originally disqualified for pushing, but reinstated on appeal, and it's now confirmed. So fantastic news and a great achievement there for the CNC athlete, who's been mentioned on this podcast before by Mark Vile and others, although I believe she's part of the Andrew Parmenter coaching group when she's in this neck of the woods. Also mentioned frequently has been Mark Scott and in America a few hours later than Holly he raced in a 5,000 metres event and managed a time of 13.05. That really is going some and I wonder how long it will be before he joins that super elite sub 13 club. Anyway nice to have some news to report But for now, listen to the interview with David McLean. Hello, yeah, it's Ron Turning here again. So you've got some skinny cycling run on again, have you? Well, at least it's a fellow. I'll tell you, I've had it up to here today with women going on about International Women's Day, as if we don't hear enough from them already. And then after blokes you hear on about being in touch with their feelings and all that. I mean, what are we trying to do? We're going to end up with a human race as some kind of transgender blob at this rate. What good's that going to do us, eh? Anyway, this fellow, he must have some balls, I suppose, going up and down them mountains in Italy. So I'll give it a listen. I'm going to finish listening to me Chaz and Dave LP first, though. Here, Trace. Chuck's a fag. OK, well, I'm delighted to be here with David McLean. Uh, last time I met you, you beat me in a 10k. You overtook me about halfway round in uh, in that great event, the Water Beach 10k. So the least said about that one, the better. But it actually occurred to me last weekend, just gone, that it was uh, the weekend of the Trofeo La Guelia, which is uh, in the part of Italy that I'm from, yeah. and I've been to see that race actually. And I was actually wondering if I'd perhaps been watching it the year that you were in it. Um, so obviously, can you remember what year that was that you did the La Guelia? Uh It was 2012. Um, and that might the, well have been when I was before, there. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the night before, all our bikes got nicked from the hotel. Um, <laughs> and so we didn't know what to do. I, there's some, some good photos of me of all of us looking like very disgruntled like signing on on the start podium and the the like neutral service cars which were sponsored by oh, I don't know so it was uh, maybe Conargo's or something I, I don't know anyway we, we all got bunged on these um, quite nice actually spare bikes but you know you know it's like you can't ride someone else it's like you can't do a race on a no. bike that you're not 
familiar with. And for me, uh, I have the brakes like the British way around with the the front lever on the front brake on the right. Yep. And and all these bikes had the brakes oh. the other way around, and you definitely don't want that. And La Greglia is quite a mountainous race. Yes, goes up from the coast and back down. Yes, quite a few times. Yeah. It um. It it's it's a really beautiful race, a, a classic like early season race, um, and it's been going for a very long time. Like you know, there's like people like Fausto Coppi and stuff like that. I think have ridden it. Yeah. So it's like a great piece of history. So I'm glad to have ridden it, but we yeah. only did like a couple of laps, and then I got off, and that was that was that, and that's all we had to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's quite dangerous. The the bends are like these sort of closing bends that get sort of gently tighter and tighter and tighter, and then suddenly it's like a hairpin. It's that they're not constant bends at all. So yeah, I know them well. That is that's my area. I know them well, and they're not something you find a lot of in Cambridge, are they? <laughs> so which, which is uh, which is where let's go back now. So that Cambridge is where you grew up, isn't it? If I remember rightly, on yeah. Oxford Road or somewhere near there. Yeah, Windsor Road. Windsor Road, that's it. Windsor Road, yeah. And um, when you were just telling me off air before we started recording about how you started as a swimmer, so how did you go from swimming to cycling and what took you onto two wheels out of the water? Well, um, yeah, yeah, we used to be swimmers, me and my brother, older brother. Um, We joined, we, we learned to swim at like, the old Parkside pool and we'd sort of, you know, we were, we were, you know, pretty average and we had swimming lessons, you know, not swimming training, swimming lessons. And then at some point when we were like, I don't know, like nine or 10 years old, they said, you know, it's not lessons anymore. It's training and you've got to come at 6am and, you know, it's going to get pretty serious now. And my mum was like, well, I'm not getting up that early <laughs> to take you to the swimming pool. Um, so we're joining Ottersham Swimming Club, who had like you know three sessions a week or four sessions a week, and they're all in the evening. Um, and I think it was an effort to like keep us away from something like too competitive, which obviously didn't work on me because ended up being more and more and more competitive. Um, but Ottersham, yeah, it was a really nice club, um, and you know. Like, we, there were a few years when we were sort of teenagers where we were going to swimming galas like every single weekend. Mm. Um, and, you know, my, and meanwhile, my dad was getting into triathlon, who you, you, knew, you knew quite well. Um, and then I, when I was maybe 15, I started riding with him. He got a second bike. So he, he he used to do triathlons on his road bike, and then around that time, everyone started getting a triathlon bike, yeah, which was basically a TT bike. Um, I think his had 650 wheels, That's, yeah, it was that era where everyone had tiny wheels. That's right, yeah, I had one of those, <laughs> yeah. And then, well, uh, so so my dad was Rob McLean, so he which after which the junior triathlon is named. Um, and uh, so he organised that a couple of years and then sadly he passed away in an accident when I was 16 
Um, and then for some reason, uh, we, me and my brother decided we don't want to do swimming anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I'd been riding. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think only like two or three weeks later, I, uh, went to, um, the Saturday morning tri club ride, uh, in my dad's kit and riding his bike and freaked everyone out. Yeah. And, uh, didn't look back after that. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're going to, we were just saying beforehand that we'll probably do another episode maybe after the junior triathlon that's named after your dad and report on that and combine that with a bit of a tribute to him because I do remember your dad doing great things and uh, being extremely humble. You know, he'd go and do a great race. He'd often do long distance stuff and do them in de- very decent times for his age and uh, still be just full of praise for everybody else and uh, really was a great guy. But as I say, we'll do... Today's about you, so we're going to focus on you. And so now you're on two wheels. You're going on the tri-club... Saturday rides and uh, do you find yourself gravitating towards the front of them pretty quickly or is it a slow progression yeah, so I think then it was like they always did the same route I think now they sort of always do the same route or well you know in, in similar uh, in normal times whenever that was huh. um, and back then they had like two groups and I think I did one group one ride in the slow group and then after that I was in the fast group but they always used to go up Barrington Hill and then race from Barrington Hill all the way to a cafe that was also a garden centre is it Fillimore's or something it's like near Melbourne isn't it yeah near Melbourne but I think there's a couple of garden centres there and like over the years it's switched between different ones yeah Um, there's a really good cafe there now the um, hot numbers roastery you go there well well, you see I, I live in Halton now I live basically underneath the hill that you're talking about in fact uh, if I, okay. my back garden looks up that hill and uh, so I'm biased with the cafe because there's a cafe in Hazlingfield at this end which also, also is actually run by hot numbers but it's called the Moringa Tree so I have to oh, yes. I have to like uh, be a fan of that one I'm not I'm not entertaining any thoughts of going to the other side <laughs> But yeah, so so that was the Saturday ride, and then um, when did you first do any kind of cycling competition? Uh, that's difficult. I I I do remember. I think I think I I might have done a race as a junior, like right at the end of my last sort of summer of being able to be a junior. So does that mean I was eighteen or seventeen? I don't know exactly. That, that's how long ago it was. I can't right. remember. Um, but we did um, a couple of road races in the Eastern Road Race League. Um, well, I did a couple of like crits at Hog Hill as well, which is oh, now yeah. where the velodrome is. There used to be a sort of road, sort of mile long. Eastway. Eastway. That's it. Yeah, I used to um, race so there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did did a couple of races there, which I think maybe got top 10 in both of them or something like that. And then um, I must have, I, th- I think I did the Falling Leaves Road Race, it's called, and that went, that was quite a hilly one for around here, like um, in Essex, sort of kind of near Saffron Walden. Yeah. Uh, Little Bree Green, sort of around there. And yeah. I think I got 
into the going to the breakaway and came sort of near the back of the breakaway. I think I was like seventh or something like that. So I sort of I I remember I actually I remember doing that first crit at Eastway and um trying to get away and things and and then there was the bunch sprint and I just sprinted and then I was like in the top ten and then mm. I found out from my from another friend that he was going to a race the next day so I was like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Going. so that, that's how hooked I was it, 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 road racing for me was just so much fun and just just you know addictive basically being in a bunch and the sort of ebb and flow and going around corners in a bunch and yeah just everything basically it just suited yeah. me really well and it's so much fun yeah see it is for you for me that was that was the bit i hated you see i i like just punishing myself and going hard the bit the bit of being in the bunch and doing the technical stuff that's what that's what i don't like that's why the first few road races i did i was spat out the back because i was a wimp around the corners but i got the hang of it in the end managed to win one road race in the end but uh i did a lot of i did a lot of um evening time trials yeah i think that summer which mm. were good. I think I I was pretty slow to begin with, and, and sort of it was, But it's great when you. For, it doesn't matter what level you are when you start doing evening time trials. If you do one every week, you just get faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And um, you don't get to do that again. You only get to do that in your first like summer of doing evening time trials. And the, ne- the next season, you're sort of already <laughs> kind of you know bit. You've sort of worked out how to do it a bit. I think. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and at this time, so over the next few years, then did you were you training mostly in Cambridge? Were you doing things like the Chain Gang and the, the sort of the classic Cambridge cycling weekly routine, or were you did you move to doing your own thing? Um, no, I mostly like stuck with the um, the like Cambridge sort of program. Like <laughs> I do. Uh, there wasn't a ride on a Monday, but Tuesday was Chain Gang, which is brilliant. Um, Wednesday, you've got the Wednesday ride, which is probably, it might be my favourite group ride because, you know, I was even doing it when I got almost no training benefit from it. But it, it yeah. basically everyone on it is having so much fun because they've they're either retired, they're a student. Or they've managed to take the day off work, or they're like self-employed. Like everyone's just riding with a massive grin on their face, and, and you just ride out of town when all the commuters are sort of queuing into town. I did that ride for many, many years, and we always used to—well, nearly always used to go to the cafe at Reed, the Silver Ball. Oh yes, yeah, did that for many years with with Tim Williams, in fact, who I believe was your coach. Yeah, yeah, he, he Tim is, uh, was my only ever coach throughout um yeah you, you you should have him on the podcast i think yeah well, i want him and heather on at some point actually yeah oh uh, yeah of course yeah 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 tim's a great coach because he's a great coach in particular for me i think because i i'm not really um i don't i don't really like sort of prescriptive coaching i sort of i, I think like tim didn't so much coach me as sort of kind of taught me to coach myself maybe and I think most of our coaching was done on the Wednesday ride yes yeah. informal 
chats, you know, talking about anything from kind of quite technical physiological stuff to just racing tactics to just, yeah, you know, anything really. Yeah, I remember some conversations with Tim on those rides. I think we probably spent longer talking about a race than the race itself took sometimes. <laughs> so as as you were doing that then and training in, in Cambridge, were you becoming aware of how good you were and the potential you had? When when did it first sort of come into your psyche that you could be really good at this to the point of even turning professional perhaps? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because I think I probably didn't really realize like and I don't I don't know really how I feel about that now because on the one hand I don't really regret anything but on the other hand like under different circumstances I think I probably would have got much further but the sort of circumstances are out of my control like you know if if you can say ifs all the time. Like, yeah. So if I was born in in Italy, you know, I would have taken up, joined the local cycling club, blah, blah, blah. Like, I probably would have found cycling much younger and gone through a whole, you know, the, you know brilliant development sure. programs and dilettante teams and all that stuff. There's no doubt you'd end up better, but I'd be a completely different person. So it's like a pointless kind of if to ask. But, like, back then it was... I think back then, like, I'm a really old man. Um, yeah, leave that then, to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was like, when I got into cycling, it really was kind of an obscure thing in the UK, obscure-ish, yeah. compared to now. You know, like, there was no... Sure. Bradley Wiggins was around, but he hadn't, wasn't going to win the Tour for another six, seven, eight years or something. Um so and and like watching cycling on the TV, which we did a little bit, watching the tour and stuff, it was so alien and different to like what we were actually doing on the weekend. It didn't feel like you you could get to that place mm. or whatever it was. And I think like slowly over the years, like the level in the UK like sort of gently rose up, and then the level in the peloton kind of in Europe's kind of got slightly less um I don't know what you call it like chemically uh, enhanced shall we okay. say like slightly less bonkers slowly so um but you know I, I had to go to uni like I'm 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 the I'm the dumb one in my family because I only did a master's <laughs> everyone else did a PhD so it's like yeah. a very academic family and I, I don't have any regrets about going to uni, but I didn't really know that, I mean, particularly when I went to France, it, it became really obvious that it's much harder to turn pro if you're not under 23 mm. years of age, which is another sort of category sure. racing after junior. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time I started racing in Europe, which... You know, the first time I did that was in 2006 or something. We did like a couple of, I joined a sort of shop team. I sort of left Cambridge CC and joined a team of guys who were sort of a bit more like me, basically a bit younger and keener. So by um, this time, had you sort of worked your way through the ranks? So you'd gone to 
second first cat elite had you by this point or not I think I was like I think I was like maybe a first cat I can't really remember like I I, I won I won a bunch of races whilst I was at uni one year and then I joined this shop team that, that was based in Essex and um, that was headed up by Andy Lyons who's sort of this guy that's been around yes, for yeah. which team was that was that Shorter Rochford or one of those no yeah. it, he he was on that team but this is a sort of new team that was uh, called Terrengate Cycles and they were, okay. they were a bike shop down in Essex and um, you know it's like a really good bunch of 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 guys and we all just raced together and had a laugh and it was a bit like riding with the, my mates in Cambridge mm. CC who were all a bit a bit older but we were all just like a few categories higher and a bit more keen and did sort of some premier calendar races right a few things like that and it, and it was great and Andy was um you know he, he was like the slightly older guy who who was sort of looking after us younger guys we learnt loads of stuff from him, and then um, we did a couple of trips to Belgium. Yeah, um, and that was just just like so eye opening because mm. I'd be doing these races in in Essex, just doing laps, and nobody's there, and mm. we'd average like twenty three miles an hour or something, the winner or you know stuff like that, and then then we went to Belgium and. We had like four four races in four days or something like that, and we stayed in in Ypres. Um, yeah, and um, you know, all summer there, there's a race every single day that you can drive to within half an hour. Incredible! And every single race, they, they're called commesses, mm-hmm. and they're like maybe like a ten to fifteen kilometer circuit, which you do you know, like 10 times or something like that. It'll be, it'll be, about, be about 100 kilometres, 120 kilometre race. And um, it's like being, it's like 200 riders instead of 60. And it cost you eight euros to enter, five euros you got back when you handed your number back. There's prize money every single lap. Wow. Um, there are crowds of people there. There's megaphones. There's like a whole like county fair type thing yeah. going on, and it was like being shot out of a cannon. It was so fast. It's like it was like doing a ten mile time trial, and then another one, and then another one for like you know the seventy five miles, and it was just incredible. We were, we were going down these like narrow concrete roads and flying around corners and. You know, it starts as a bunch, but it just goes spreads out into a long line of two hundred riders immediately, mm. and then just little gaps open up, and riders come flying backwards one by one yeah. by one, and then and then suddenly it's all little groups, and we all got dropped or you know pulled out. Normally, there's only you know like twenty finishers or something because everyone gets pulled out laps early. Yeah. Um, they get told it's your. You get whatever whatever group you're in. You get told this is your last lap, and you'll contest it the next time round. Um, and like I remember the sprint finish 
wasn't really a sprint finish. Like they were still going mad, this like winning yeah. breakaway and, and the, the win across the line. And then one second later is the next rider and one second later is the next guy. And then it, so it's like just completely stratified peloton. I've never seen anything so aggressive or yeah. sort of amazing. But also there was actual people there. Like in, in, yeah. in Essex, it's like... <laughs> A duck. The guy with the flag, <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah. I was just it, like as like excited as I was in that first race at Eastway. I, I, it just happened like all over again, and um, yeah, you know, I, I I just wish you know ah, if only I could have done that when I was sixteen instead of like. 21 or 22 but I didn't sure. know so yeah, I, yeah. I just didn't know um, and so the next summer I finished uni and I joined this team called Kings North International Wheelers and sort of what I did like two trips there of about I don't know like four or five six weeks so I sort of it was kind of like maybe half a season there and then in Belgium, you're talking about. It, this is in Belgium, in yeah. Ghent. Right, right. In Ghent. So it, it's a, yeah. The the name of the team is like there's a bike shop in Kings North or something. I I never went to that no. bike shop. I didn't know anything about it. But they had this. There was this Belgian team called Kings North International right. Wheelers, and basically their sort of whole policy as a team was we'll take anyone but particularly foreign riders. Um, and it was mostly English-speaking riders. And we lived on this farm on the edge of Ghent, although really the city had sort of grown up around the, right. the farm. So it was like, it wasn't really a farm. It was just like a farmhouse in the middle of a suburb. And this guy, Staff, it was called this like, big <laughs> Belgian guy who was a bit mad and, Loved to drink beer outside of the Kermesses, and he, he every day he came to the farm to feed his uh, 150 odd chickens and to come and see his, his bike races that he got living oh, in his farmhouse. Yeah. And he was sort of you were like another breed, he had his special yeah. chickens and his special riders. Yeah, I mean, Belgium's, right, yeah. A, Belgium's an incredible place. I mean, we're going to talk about Italy in a minute, but Belgium has its own great characteristics doesn't it i mean i joined the belgian yeah. duathlon team for a year and uh it was nothing like as well supported as what you're saying but it was much better than in england and afterwards you'd get the party with the chips and the beer and prize money down to about 25th and you know and it was a real Absolutely. atmosphere 80s music playing usually yeah yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> and well you only have to look at the the cyclocross to see what it, what extremes it can go to can't it in Belgium, or, yeah, or indeed yeah. the classics in Belgium, it's amazing, right? So, so what happened on the farm then? Did your cycling improve then through this um, intensive farming you went through? Yeah, like yeah, it was it was intensive. Um, yeah, I mean, because we we would just race, I don't know, three, four, five times a week, um, and we'd often cycle to the races because near Ghent, I think particularly maybe during the summer, I don't know, but certainly during the season, like you can cycle, it's like a perfect warm-up to get to all the races. Right. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
it was it was perfect um and you know i think i think it took me so i think the aim initially was to finish a race and when i say finish i meant do the full distance rather than get a placing because i think quite quickly i was getting in the sort of top 30 or 40 but you wouldn't end up even doing the last lap because the break the the group further in front would right. be too far in front or something so mm. that's how like you know split up it would get um and were, were you so developing sort of char- were you developing characteristics as a rider by this stage could you define yourself as a particular type of rider or were you an all-rounder at this point i think um i think i realized in belgium that uh i, I wasn't that good a sprinter like i I wouldn't say I was I couldn't sprint, but when you put me next to like some big Belgian bruiser, yeah. there's absolutely no chance. Um, and uh, I was sort of a good, um, yeah, a bit of a sort of diesel. I think at, at that time I probably thought of myself as a bit of a kind of slow twitch diesel engine type person, but actually probably wasn't I was, I was I was a bit more I was I was just maybe a bit too skinny and a bit too light against some of those really big yeah. sprinters and in those races like the terrain wasn't that hilly for most of the races and you just couldn't get rid of the big guys you just couldn't get rid of them so they'd always beat you was there a lot of the cobbles end. as well <laughs> yeah cobbles um they weren't, they're not like, uh, generally, Kermes races, the cobbles aren't like Paris-Roubaix, which, you know, those those cobbles are like, you know, they're not very well set or anything, and they're out in rural areas, whereas the cobbles in most Belgian Kermesses are like laid in the town centre, so they're sort of, they're still really rough, though, like when you when you hit them at, 65 kilometers an hour like you can feel it Um, and there's certainly some like it's it's weird like your cadence tends to what i found like your cadence tends to slow down you you find yourself changing up into a bigger and bigger gear and like pushing really really hard um Hmm. and you sort of can't feel anything because all the vibration yeah and it's quite funny like even when you're going that fast it it feels like you're not drafting anyone anymore. So that sort of when you the whole pack like hits it, it's like we're all suddenly on our own. Yeah. For a bit and it all sort of separates out, and then you cut you fly around some corner onto the tarmac again, and then you're all like trying to come back together again. Um, but um, yeah, cobbled racing's really good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the the courses in Belgium are a bit mad as well because you tend to sort of find yourself, well, you can see it when you watch the big pro races in Belgium, you sort of, you'll find you're going down some big, quite wide road and the peloton's quite spread out and wide. And then we've all got to like dive down left into some tiny, narrow kind of concrete sectioned road or cobbles or something like that. And that, you know, that's, you know, people are, trying to get the whole shots like trying to be the first 10 through into that corner so mm. you can imagine how fast it is on the wide bits and then you can imagine 
how it's sort of survival mode possibly going even faster still on the narrow bit <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. there might be something like a giant um, cow turd like right in the middle of it or <laughs> just anything like there'd just be anything um, there like to cause chaos so, so I remember once there was yeah, a whole load of quite rural um, droppings from some <laughs> cows or something in the road and it was just in one pile but when you go around in the, the next lap there's sort of two piles like one whole sort of wheel circumference <laughs> further on and then there's a third one and a fourth one and you're like oh okay so, uh, nobody's trying to do- dodge this anymore They're ju- we're just trying to like stay holding onto the wheel in front now yeah. just to like get through the race <laughs> Sounds like you're quite fearless, though. You don't, you didn't fear the cobbles or fear the, the sort of perils of Belgian racing in general. No, actually, no. I, I, yeah, I don't think I really. That didn't. Yeah, that I, that didn't bother me at all. I, I actually the first I remember now, like the first ever race I did on that one of those trips, um, I was sort of at the back of this long line of riders. And two of them further up in front of me, like, sort of moved apart and, like, came back together. And they just sort of exploded apart. You know, flew one flew off to the left, one to the right. And we had no time. We just went straight through and I missed all of them. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, OK. <laughs> I, I, that's two placings higher, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. Yeah, never mind that they're lying in hospital. We're we're going on. <laughs> it's slightly wacky races in uh, in Belgium in particular. I think in France and Italy it's a bit more. It has a different it has rhythm. A sort of ebb. yeah. It's like, I think when basically it's because of the terrain. Really, it, in Belgium it feels like there's no choice because there's nothing. There's nothing to wait for. There's no hill after thirty kilometres. There's no this or that, and and there's a there's twenty thirty euros on the line like every ten kilometres. So you know everyone's just going for it all the time. And in in France and Italy, I I tended to ride. Well, I guess that's maybe just what it's like. The races were either point to point, or you'd ride to a circuit and they have a finishing circuit or stuff like that so and people would all know when the point to attack was yeah generally speaking yeah sort of written into the history of the race sometimes this is where yeah, it goes. sometimes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. brilliant so so there you are in belgium doing that for a couple of summers did you say on the farm did... um no that was just, just one so I, yeah i did a few trips like in 2006 but not to the farm that was just like with the guys from Essex, uh, Herringate, and then um, and then I had sort of two trips. I think that was two thousand and seven, right? To, with Kings North, and then I I, I thought, I, yeah, I got into this. I think one race. I think the best placing I got was like fourth or something like that. Um, and I basically, I thought, yeah, I'm fed up of being out sprinted. I I'd quite like to go somewhere with some hills to see what I can do there and then um, uh, a teammate or no just a, a friend I used to race against um, told me about a team in uh, Nice mm-hmm. I thought oh that sounds good 
so I ended up on this team in Nice. And I, I Another of my favourite cities, yeah, go on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, Nice is brilliant because it's, because it's so close to Italy, it's like half Italy and half that's French, right. and that's just a brilliant combination. Um, I think I've, the best ice, the best ice cream I've eaten <laughs> is in Nice. So it's uh, technically in France, um, but yeah, it's gelato. It, everyone's got, you know, half the people there have got Italian surnames and stuff. It's yeah. like it's very sort of mixed city. Um, and uh, so I wasn't living quite in Nice, but I was racing for a club called Sprinter Club de Nice, which is quite a cool name. But mm. there was not wasn't I didn't have anything to do with sprinting, not not over there. Um, and yeah, I got to do some much more hilly races. I I think our first race though, because it was quite cold and there's mountains, there, there weren't many hilly races at the beginning of the season, and I was sort of itching to do my first proper climb. Um, and uh, we got to right, one of the early season races on part of the Monaco Grand Prix circuit nice. so that was quite cool just a bit by the marina um, and yeah I, I was doing the sort of first race I was promised there'd be hills and um, I was I remember I, was, I, I attacked at the front of the bunch and I sort of looked behind me and saw that the bunch had sort of went strung out and mm. that I, you know it wasn't going to happen that that attack was going to come back um and I, I i must have pulled over to the side whilst i was looking over my shoulder and i looked back in front and there was a parked car and i just went straight i glanced it with my oh. uh shoulder and broke my collarbone so i, I didn't get to do my first hill um so that i had to wait so that the, that's the first time i broke my collarbone um, and yeah i was really upset about that like, yeah i bet it was uh it was completely devastating um i i luckily i didn't need uh i didn't need it plated or anything like that it just sort of i had to take i think yeah, I flew back within a, within a two days or something, and I wrote. I was on the turbo on, you know, when I got back, and then with your arm in the sling. Yeah, and then I think I rode my town bike after like the following week, and then I then I rode to the cafe <laughs> to meet the guys on the Saturday tri club ride. Like after two weeks, and right. then um, and then I did an evening time trial after like just over two weeks and I won the evening time trial nice. but I, I almost blacked out I, I was <laughs> in so much pain I was, I was so keen to get back um, yeah I was just in so much pain doing it and it was in hindsight it was just really dumb like you know, there was just no need for me to do that I, I would have recovered quicker had I just not done that so when yeah. You know, fast forward quite a few years later, I broke the other one. I actually recovered a lot quicker for just having a whole week or two off, just watching the telly and stuff. Right. You don't but go for the Tyler Hamilton school of thought then, and just ride the rest of the tour with a broken collarbone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Tyler, he, you know, he only um, cracked his. You see. That's, oh right. You know, yeah. That's nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so did you go back out to Nice then, to that same team? Yeah, yeah, I went back um, after only like, I don't know, like a couple of months or something. Like I, I was, um, it did heal pretty quickly. Like I, I think it, generally with, with collarbones, if the two bits of bone are still touching, it heals yeah. like within about six weeks generally if when when you're in your 20s anyway yeah. um so uh so yeah it was it it still recovered pretty quickly and i got back into it again and i got to race in the mountains and that went really well that year um i think the standard might have been slightly lower than in belgium um but i still did well there, I think there was one race I did where we cycled out to a circuit that was hilly had a sort of I don't know like a 5k 4 or 5k sort of draggy climb on it and you just went round and did it a few times it was quite a short race like 80k or something and then it went back the way we came to the start and that was the finish line and I attacked the final time up this climb and got a really big gap and then we rode off the circuit descended down um as hard as i could and the the motorbike in front had pulled away and disappeared and the car behind wasn't there so i was just like on my own descending yeah. and then i would keep descending keep descending and then i spot a car coming the other way Oh. spots and things that I've not seen before like did we come this way and it turned out the marshal that was supposed to send us the last bit <laughs> and I just sort of descended like you know into some suburb or something and then oh. eventually I arrived at the finish like and ev- everything was over I was I, oh. that was yeah that was bad yeah I bet. That, that was yeah <laughs> that doesn't ha- I don't think that happens to many people but that did happen to me at that one time and I think yeah after that I was quite annoyed because there was there was sort of there were two different like cycling governing bodies that were used and one of them was sort of like the cheapo right cheapo one and that was like quite popular in that part of France for some reason and mm. after that I was just like no I don't Can I do that? I don't really want to race with them anymore <laughs> Were you getting a bit of money at this point, or not really? Uh, not really. Like, I, yeah, you could. I mean, basically, my my financial plan was to sort of work in the off season, and mm. luckily, I had I, I had a fairly okay job in the winter. I sort of did a software job as I basically kind of worked as an intern, but by then I'd been there long enough that it's sort mm. of like really really good job to have given that they let me sort of disappear for several months a year and things like that um and uh so i sort of saved up and then when i lived in nice for example um i didn't have to pay any rent right i lived in this enormous villa that had um it had no furniture in it because it was owned by the, the president of the club who, who lived like just down the road with his family. Yeah. Um, and they were trying to sell this house. And I think they had it oh, on the right. market for too much money. I got to live there for the whole season. Brilliant. 
basically it just didn't have any furniture it had a bed yeah. and uh, a chair and uh, that was about it but that's all you needed when you <laughs> yeah. and a swimming pool so, oh well yeah. there you go yeah 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 Right, well, I'm conscious we haven't even got to Italy yet and we're, we're already well over two-thirds of the way through, so we better speed, okay. speed things up. Do you want to race us through the next couple of years to when you get to your, you know, the top teams and you start riding in these Category 1 races? Yeah, so, so I did another year in France on a slightly better team in Malouz, which is like sort of near the French-Swiss border. Yeah, spelt Mulhouse, yeah, that one. Yeah, Mulhouse, yeah. so it depends whether you're from Switzerland, Germany or France, yeah. how you say yeah. Malouz, Mulhouse. Um, and I got to do, uh, before then I got to do the tour of Costa Rica, which that's a whole other podcast potentially. <laughs> um, and, and then I joined, like 2009 I, I raced really well, but it was a pretty hard year for me mentally because um, I was just living on my own in this hotel that sponsored the team. So I ended up coming back to the UK and I joined this team um, which had Italian sponsors, mm -hmm. um, but it was a British team. And in 2010, they're based in Sheffield. Um, in 2011, uh, we were based in Cambridge and had a few of my few friends that I used to race with who were at the university years before. Um, uh, well, I don't know how much to gloss over. So, got, it will, tell us, tell us the name of that it. team. What was that team called? Um, in 2010, it was called Frepsa Pasta Montegrappa. That's right, I remember that. Frepsa, like, make office furniture. I think Pasta Montegrappa might, at the time, they might, I think they made all of Tesco's, Tesco's <laughs> own pasta. <laughs> So they're like a huge pasta company that make pasta for other people, like supermarkets and stuff. Um, and in 2011, it was called Zero Quadro Pasta, pasta Montegrappa. And Zero Quadro was this like interesting bike manufacturer who made sort of custom carbon bikes, but at a slightly lower price for custom. They had this interesting like system of doing mm. it um uh anyway so we went to like visit them in 2011 and we did we in both 2010 and 11 we raced in italy on sort of little trips to italy um and 2011 we i was going to do the tour of serbia which yeah. i'd done a couple of years earlier um but i broke my other collarbone this is in 2011 in a race in belgium which, unlike the other time, the other time was completely my fault. It was quite embarrassing, actually, because I did it in front of the whole bunch. But this time, it was just a, it was just a racing incident. Like yeah. a couple of guys crashed in front of me, and I had nowhere to go. Um, and so I wasn't happy about that because I was really hoping to do well in Serbia. But anyway, my team manager Mauro, who's who's the you know, he's the Italian connection. He got us. He's, he was running the team and got us the Italian sponsors and stuff. He he lives in uh, Wimbledon. Right. Um. He uh, like during this stage race, which is a one one week long stage stage race, um, buttered up. You know the bigger continental sort of pro teams there. One of which is called Meridiana Carmen. Yes. Um. 
and managed to get me a spot on on their team, even though I wasn't in the race or anything. Yeah. So he's you know, forever indebted to Marrow. Um, and uh, so I ended up doing these UCI 1.1 races um, at the end of 2011 for this team. So this team like was in the news quite a lot that year because Ricardo Rico, who at the time was sort of famous for A, doping, but B, being, I think, particularly stupid. He'd won, he'd won the Jira one year, hadn't he? Yeah, maybe. Like, he's certainly, like, absolutely... He was the, he was the next you know, big thing. He was young, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the next big thing. Um, but I, I think the Italian press didn't really like him after mm. a while. They thought he was sort of slightly childish or whatever. Anyway, so he was causing a bit of a stir and he was going to join this team because I think he'd served his ban and he joined another pro tour team and then they fired him because of some suspicious reasons but it wasn't it wasn't like an official ban or anything like that so he, basically all the big teams were like we don't want you anymore because we know what you're up to um, but you know Antonio at Meridiana Carmen was like we'll take you because we need some we need some uh, publicity here. yeah yeah because <laughs> um, eventually Rico was found with, he was the one who was found with his own blood in the fridge wasn't he the vials of his own yeah, yeah, it's all pretty like um, stuff that makes you like feel a bit yeah. cringy, like the idea of having your blood where you keep your vegetables <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so it can't be very, um, yeah. Anyway, it <laughs> sounds pretty risky. Didn't you end up going to hospital with like liver failure? Or yeah, something? I think you're right. Yeah, self bad blood. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I never met him, and he never raced with the team. Um, but I did get to do these races. Um, uh, like the first one has quite a long name; I can't remember. But it was a UCI one point one, and like it was another moment, a bit like you know the first race ever, and that race in Belgium, like doing a a pro race for the first time was just I mean, just crossing the start line was just yeah you know, total dream come true um and then because the I, you did that you did the Grand Premio degli Etruschi I think I read is that was it that one yes yeah, I think I've done that one yeah 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 they, they're all a bit of a blur they all sort of run together um and uh yeah this race was like a circuit race this first one and like I think David Rebelin was there, Damiano Conego was there, um, Giovanni Visconti was oh, there. Yeah. I think he's still racing. Yeah. He won he won the race and you know, there's a whole load of other names to people that you sort of recognise sure. from T V and stuff like that. And 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 there was a you know, there's like a helicopter and like it was just like proper, proper I was suddenly, you know, going from watching the tour as a child and thinking it's just like an alien world that I have no connection to, like not even thinking that you could do it, to being in a pro race with, you know, the same people was just 
Amazing, yeah. Yeah, mind-blowing. And it was like, it just felt like, um, you know, if it didn't do anything else, like, this would be, this is like, the, this is really like a good piece of icing on the cake. Because at this point, um, would you say cycling felt like your job and your passion at this point? Or did you not yeah, see it I mean, in those terms at all? Uh, yeah, I think it's very hard to define what constitutes professional because I, I sort of I, di- I didn't earn enough money to live on really, um, and like to actually to join that team, we had to like raise some money basically because most of the people on that team had to sort of you know have their own private backing from somewhere. Like even yeah. when. David Rebelin joined the next year. He brought his own sponsor. Right. Obviously, paid him a lot of money, and mm. we we were just yeah, we were just like bringing enough to like survive. Mm. Um, so it was that kind of team basically. And my my plan was to do that for a year, and then hopefully get on the, a radar where I could not have to do that. Um, and uh, which didn't happen in the end but that's for other reasons um but yeah that like it it felt like i'd somehow caught up i'd somehow it didn't matter that i didn't really cycle much properly as an under 23 i didn't all that stuff didn't matter i'd I'd sort of kept improving kept sticking at it and even though i think i'd you know if i was being better i'd say i'd been sort of ignored or whatever or dismissed by yeah. People. Maybe not. Maybe for good reasons because they just want to look at the young guys. Because you tend to get more potential, obviously, with a younger person or whatever. Um, you know, I've managed to sort of find this way into this race to do this this thing that I knew I was good enough to do. Yeah, um, and, and which seemed so, so out of reach, and which was almost like, as you say, a childhood dream. You sort of made it whatever happens yeah. after that you don't care in a way do you yeah yeah and I, it's like but but when i think about it now it's like it wasn't even a dream then because it was such what we were watching in like 2000 and the 90s is like so different to what mm. you know looked the same but like you know back when you look at footage of um you know people people going up Mont Ventoux and they're having to coast to go round the hairpin. Like, that's what we were watching in, like... That's what we were watching in, like, 1998 or whatever it was. Like, you, you can yeah. see it on YouTube now. Like, the speed is, like... It's, like, alien. Whereas yeah. now, you know, or even then, like, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, there was no expectation on me in that race... Um, all I had to do was ride as long as I could and just like, you know, do it just to see what it was like. And it was like 37 degrees Celsius or something. It was really hot. Um, and I, I was a bit detrained from the collarbone. And I'd spent the whole year doing races that were like 120k long, 130k long. And this was like, I don't know, like 180k or 190k or something. And, um, but you know it was good because I, I did. I stayed in the, the bunch. I, I really liked it. It was, it was like really smooth. It's like very different to the Belgian racing. Sure. Say the speed was super high but super smooth, which 
actually I realised suited me really well. You know, at one point we were all lined out in a long line, but there was no danger of the line breaking out up into groups because everyone's really good. So like yeah. they just hold the line and it would just go faster and faster and faster and nobody gives up. Um, I mm. remember at one point doing that on Damien Ono Kunigo's wheel. Oh yeah, it's like on his wheel for like a few minutes doing that, and a year later I did that in on Cadell Evans' wheel. It was his first race after winning the tour. Magic. He won in 2011. I raced with him in 2012 in his like first race of the season. Um, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it was like we'd done about 100. K, and I was still in the race, and I looked behind me, and like half the bunch had gone. So I was like in the top half of the 200 riders, and eventually I did get dropped. But I was like very pleased with my first definitely. race. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. We are definitely going to have to have another podcast because we've only got five minutes before the hour's oh, up okay. but but let's what I do want from you I want your best moment on the bike I want, or maybe even two like your two highlights if you have to pick two moments that you know when you felt you maybe you've already mentioned them but if you want yeah, to take... I think I think I probably have already mentioned like, that that race was like a really important moment um yeah it probably is that moment actually yeah that just and it was and it wasn't it was crossing the start line that was that was important. It, it, it actually, the, the, the crossing the start line was harder. It was a bigger achievement than yeah. finishing, which obviously I did in subsequent races. Yeah. But like that first pro race was just. Yeah. I, I, I read. In, I read in an interview that you were at the time you were hoping to write a book. Did you ever write your book? That uh, I started, <laughs> but I never. You never finished. No, I probably should, but I never found the sort of time. <laughs> I wrote a blog for so long, so like yeah. the sort of basic structure is all kind of there. But um, is the blog still available for people to look at? Yes, it's on. It got hosted by the Eastern Road Race League website. It, I think if you type in McLean, so my surname M C L E A N dot E R R L dot org dot UK. I think that still goes to the blog. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Fantastic. There's a lot of stuff on there, so just, yeah. I don't, it's, and I think all the pictures on it are little red crosses, like that's how old it is. <laughs> the text is still there. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, I can't let you go without talking about, you know, why it stopped and that you've now moved into running. So can, in about one minute, can you tell us why you stopped and how you sort of took up running or why you took up running? Um, I stopped because I got uh, some sort of post-viral fatigue or something. I, we never got to the bottom of it, but basically I got very tired at the beginning of 2012 and took me years to recover, but that's a whole other podcast. I, occasionally I get contacted by people who want to get sort of advice about it. So again if you run out of podcast ideas i could probably could probably do one all on that because that's yeah. quite a long thing um and then in 2015 i wanted to do the, the three peaks cyclocross mm -hmm. do you know that it's yeah like yeah do the sort of three highest peaks in yorkshire it's, it's basically a bell running race where you're 
inconvenienced by having to carry a bicycle <laughs> with you. That's how my friend Ed calls it anyway. Um, so I did a bit of running for that, but actually that's terrible training. You, you basically log a bike up a hill. You don't even run. You just sort of walk. Yeah. Um, you sort of and hold onto grass tufts and fences. You don't fall backwards. Um, so that's when I started. I've sort of been on and off because I always get injured because a lifetime of low impact sport means that I can't do high impact sport. So I keep, so the last five or six years I've just been, you know, up and down running for a bit and not running for a bit. But I've just start. I've just got to over a hundred days of running every day. Well, I saw you did 80k last week or something like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in a good spot at the moment. It's all going to go wrong at some point, but for now, um, yeah, I figured running, like I got married last year, we've got a baby oh. coming, I figured um, running would be a sort of time efficient way of staying fit, you know, um, I can run out of the house as fast as possible and then obviously I'll change my mind and come running back, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so well, yeah, you're a good runner, which is quite unusual for a top cyclists. Most of them, if they've been on the saddle too long, they don't they don't take to it too well. I've got to ask the the question that I ask everybody: what if on a bike, your favourite bike ride or session, what type of ride would it be? And your favourite food? Thirty seconds, go. All right. Um, my favourite ride is the Wednesday ride, obviously, uh, with a good cake stop. Um, uh, my favourite food, basically, you're going to love me for this, but basically anything Italian, but particularly pizza. Well said, yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. And uh, last question then. So your view on, in again, 20 seconds, your, fav- your view on the current pro scene, who's your favourite rider at the moment? Uh, well, my wife, T, refers to him as my boyfriend, Matteo <laughs> Vanderpol. Okay. Um, yeah, he's he's just like he's very amazing. exciting rider, and like lots of he just seems like a, you know quite a nice guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's a, maybe a bit too good. Like he's embarrassing the other people, like he did on Saturday. Yeah, and of course he's got Dutch origins, like you. I've got eight seconds left. I really want to thank you, David. That's been brilliant. We're definitely going to do more podcasts because you've got a lot to say. Thank you, David. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David as much as I did. I think we got some real insights there into the life of a cyclist in many, many ways. If you did enjoy it, please subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss an episode. And rate and review us. Any feedback is welcome. Remember, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You find us very easily. Make sure you tune in next time. And until then... Keep enduring.